Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. You're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, where we offer you podcasts of the supernatural and the unexplained. Get ready now for Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself, depending on the subject matter and your needs. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For almost 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death. And so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Today on the show, we have another story time with Sandra. I got such great compliments on the first one. I thought we can do it again with new stories. Before I do, I just want to share a little life tip that I recently just figured out. My mom's 80th birthday is on the horizon, and I've got a special gift planned for her. I have ordered all kinds of fun short videos of different people wishing her happy birthday, from family members to Kermit the Frog to impersonators. There's a great site called Fiverr which is F-I-V-E-R-R.com. I'm not a paid advertiser for them or anything, but it's what people will do for $5. So there's a gentleman singing happy birthday to my mom with camels behind him and so many other things. Well, I'm putting together this montage of video clips that I will present to her on her birthday. Because what do you get for someone who has everything? Well, it's a labor of love, a video like this. I have found for the last two weeks, as I've been collecting these videos, the anticipation I'm feeling of her watching it and the joy she will feel, well, I am feeling that joy right now. So for the past two weeks, I keep finding myself playing one of the videos, thinking, how is she going to react? So here is a little food for thought. When you have something in the horizon, something where you're making a difference for another, something that may be a surprise. Let yourself get caught up in imagining what it will be like to surprise that person. For me, the moment she watches the video will be great, but I can't even tell you how much joy I have felt this past two weeks. So that just goes to show whatever it is we have on the horizon impacts who we are being today. So make sure you have things in the future set that can inspire you and make you feel good. All right, now on to the episode. I have a great book called Surviving Death by Leslie Keen. And Leslie is a journalist who her book was brought to the attention of a filmmaker. You may have seen it on Netflix. 
the miniseries Surviving Death. In the miniseries, you can meet Leslie, find out about some of her explorations. I had met her at a conference a few years back, and she gave me a copy of her book. So there's some really wonderful stories in it. And I thought we could have a little story time. Leslie is an award-winning journalist. She's a New York Times bestselling author. And her book, Surviving Death, is based on facts and scientific studies that include chapters by medical doctors, psychiatrists, and PhDs from four countries. Yes, I'm reading the back of the book. And in the book, Keen enriches the narrative by including her own unexpected, confounding experiences encountered while she probed the question concerning all of us. Do we survive death? I also would like to include some stories from people who have had signs from loved ones recently because I think they're fantastic to hear what happens with others and that might allow you to be on the lookout for some of these signs yourself. Plus, I've uncovered a few jokes about the afterlife. So why not put a smile on all of our faces? So let's start with the first story. This one is called Actual Death Experiences from Chapter 8 of Leslie Keene's Surviving Death. Pam Reynolds was a classically trained songwriter and orchestrator with three children who lived in Atlanta. In 1991, at the age of 35, she was diagnosed with an aneurysm, a bulge or ballooning in her blood vessel that can leak or rupture. It was deeply embedded in her brainstem, and she was told she had very little time to live. She tried the one rare procedure that could give her a small chance at life. Dr. Robert Spetzler, director of the Barrow Neurological Institute and the chairman of neurosurgery in Phoenix, Arizona, performed the risky surgery in which Pam was rendered as reversibly dead as one can be. Spetzler, a world-renowned neurosurgeon who specializes in cerebrovascular disease and skull-based tumors, has published more than 300 articles and 180 book chapters in the neuroscience literature. Spetzler explained what happened to Pam in a 2007 interview. Pam Reynolds had what is called a giant basilar artery aneurysm in the base of her brain, To get there, you take off part of the skull, including the roof of the eye. By taking away the bone, you can create a space that goes right down along the skull base, and then that gets us to the area we need to expose for the aneurysm. You're going underneath the brain. We use hypothermic cardiac arrest to treat these very difficult aneurysms. For this technique, you lower the body temperature down to 60.8 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 16 degrees Celsius. You do that by hooking the patient up to a heart machine, which cools the temperature down until you get to that target temperature. The cardiac team inserts a catheter into the groin that goes up the artery and then another which goes into the vein. You have a catheter on either side of the heart and that takes over the heart function. Then, for up to an hour, you can shut off that machine and basically drain the blood out of the body. Yet the patient can still be resuscitated. Once the aneurysm is clipped, the process is reversed. The pump is started back up again, and the blood is pushed into the body. The pump now, instead of cooling, warms the blood, and gradually the body temperature comes back up. 
Pam's whole body was extensively monitored and her brain was monitored with EEG, which are brain waves, and with what are called evoked potentials. These are ways to make the nerves send very small signals to the brain, and normally you can average them out and get a strong signal. You can use this on someone who is as deep with anesthesia as you can get. Now, in a hypothermic cardiac arrest, those waves completely disappear. They are gone. They are flat. There's absolutely no brain activity that we can detect. The surgery was successful and Pam survived, but she was not unconscious despite the fact that she had no brain activity. Here to present that story is Pam Reynolds herself. This information has never before been made public. It is exclusive for this book. Sadly, Pam died of heart failure in 2010 when she was only 53, almost 20 years after her surgery. Here is her story. The doctor said that the most they could do for me was try a surgical process, but they could pretty much guarantee that it would not be successful and death would be an imminent outcome. I didn't have much choice. I had three little children, so I had to go through it. Dr. Spetzler performed the operation, but there were more people in that room than I would have ever guessed to be in an operating room. During the stasis operation, which the doctors who perform it have coined standstill, they cooled my body down and my heart stopped. My brainwaves stopped functioning. They tilted the end of the gurney up and drained my blood, like oil from a car, into a heart-lung machine, thereby shrinking the aneurysm. I'm told that's what happened, but as I understand it, I was not there when this was happening. I had been put to sleep. Dr. Spetzler has since assured me that I was nearly comatose. There is no way that I could have heard or seen anything. My eyes were taped shut and my ears had speakers inserted in them, making a loud clicking sound, which were used to monitor the response by my brain. Nonetheless, I began to hear a tone. It was guttural. It was unpleasant. I did not like it. It drew my consciousness like water from a well. And having done that, I sort of popped out of my head to see what this horrific noise was. My first vantage point was rather like sitting on the shoulder of the surgeon. And in his hand, I saw an instrument that was making the offensive noise. I have heard the word saw all my life. My father used a saw. My grandfather used a saw. Brain surgeons use saws. I had assumed they were going to open up the skull with a saw, but this was no saw. This thing was held more like a pencil. It looked like a drill and actually reminded me of an electric toothbrush. There was an open case very close to it, and it had bits in it. And it looked like the case that my father kept his socket wrenches in when I was a small child. And I noticed that one of these bits was attached to this toothbrush thing. This was the thing that was causing the noise that disturbed my slumber, and it was a very, very, very deep slumber. The feeling of exiting my body was incredible. I've never weighed 500 pounds, but it was as if I had and had just lost it. I could move around at will. The thought process took me where I wanted to go. I felt no more pain, no more suffering, no more fear, no more anxiety, even for the sake of my children. All of those things just disappeared when I left the body, and I was free to wander around at will, unobstructed. It's clear to me that while I knew what they were doing, 
They didn't know I knew what they were doing. They thought I was that thing lying on the table. It was undescribable. It was beautiful to know that I was no longer part of that thing. And by the way, I did look at this body like it was just that. A thing. Not me. Not my body. Me was outside of it. Being out of my body put me in a position to be able to observe many things that were happening in the operating room, even as they were conducting surgery on me. I heard a female voice, and the voice was saying that the veins and arteries were too small. I was concerned because they were working in an area around my arteries, and I thought that this was brain surgery. I had heard these horror stories about doing surgery on the wrong place or removing the wrong limb. So I tried to communicate to the lady who was communicating the doctor about my veins and arteries being too small, that that's not where she needed to be at all. And it was at that point I realized that she could not hear me. We're going to go into our first break now. Her story is so amazing how much she could see, even though she was technically flatlined. But before we do... Here's your first joke. What are supermarkets in the afterlife called? Heaven 11. <laughs> Let's go to the break. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and it is story time. And I'm reading a story from the book Surviving Death by Leslie Kane. In this story, we're hearing the words from Pam Reynolds, who underwent an operation for a brain aneurysm. The doctors had told her that there was a high probability of death, but she went through with it anyways. So last we heard, she was witnessing her own operation from outside of her body. Here's more of her words. I began to sense a presence The feeling was like having someone looking over your shoulder, and yet there being no one there. So I sort of turned around to look at it, and instead of a person, I saw a very tiny pinpoint of light. And as I focused on that light, it started to pull me, and the pulling had a physical sensation that went with it. It was like from my tummy, going over a hill real fast, and it pulled me. And the closer I got to the light, the better I could see the figures. The first figure I knew was my grandmother, and I heard her voice calling me. But it wasn't a voice that was made of vocal cords, and it wasn't the same kind of hearing we have. It was something different. And of course, I went immediately to her. There were so many people there, many I knew, many I didn't know. But I knew somehow we were connected. Didn't know how, but I knew. The people were wearing light. They seemed to be made of light. The ones I recognized, it's as if there had never been a separation between us. There was that love, that warmth, that protection, and I felt that I had been brought to this place to be protected so that my body could be prepared. And it felt wonderful. Then I saw my uncle, who had passed away at the ripe old age of 39. He didn't use his mouth to communicate with me. He did it in another way that I remembered from my early childhood. He had the look. He would look at me, and I would understand. And it didn't take long until I understood that everyone communicated in this fashion. They'd look at you, and you just understood. I also describe it as the knowing, because you just know. And all of these people had this ability to just kind of look, and I knew. The quality of communication was much better than what we have here, because There it moves with the speed of light. It's rather like being on the other end of a pulsing laser. All you have to do is think it, and the thought process is sent out. There's no misunderstanding in what gets said. What gets said is the truth. I asked my grandmother regarding the nature of this light. My communication was, is the light God? And there was great laughter, and she said, No, sweetheart, the light is not God. The light is what happens when God breathes. That was the communication. The physical landscape was non-existent. It was as if the bodies were floating in midair. There was light and shadow, but it didn't seem to fall on anything. 
And that's what convinces me that I was probably not in heaven. It had colors like you wouldn't believe, but I probably was in an in-between place. I was on some sort of a bridge on the way, because, let's not forget, they would not let me into that light. The sound, however, is an entirely different matter that really interests me. As a musician, I've been taught from the cradle that if you put two tones too close together, what you get is discordance. But in the place where I was, every being had their own tone, and every tone was so close to the next, and yet, when these tones were put together, when everyone was sounding off, it was beautiful. It was harmonic. It was beyond anything that I could ever have dreamed of composing or directing here. I became concerned as to whether or not I was really there. I looked at my own hands and held them up to my face. I saw something. I knew I was there. I could feel me. The odd thing was, I didn't feel so different than I feel here. And yet, there was no density in my flesh. But still, I held my hands up to my face to secure the knowledge that I was still there. There came a time that I knew I had to return to the body. My uncle was going to take me, and that was fine. I was okay with that until I saw the thing, and then I was not at all pleased. He told me, think about your favorite food. Won't you miss your favorite foods? Won't you miss your children? And I figured the children would be okay. And then he said to me, it's like jumping in a swimming pool, baby. Just jump. I looked down and saw the body jump with the first defibrillation. I definitely did not want to get into that thing because, to be honest with you, it looked like what it was, dead. I knew it would hurt. So my response to him was, I know it's disrespectful, and I'm a Southern girl, but it was a no. So he pushed me. I hit the body at the second defibrillation of the heart at the exact time that they achieved sinus rhythm. And there I was, alive and somewhat uncomfortable. It's taken me a long time to forgive my uncle for that. Getting back into the body was kind of like jumping into a pool of ice water. It was shocking, literally. I could feel the shock, and it was very unpleasant. They used the paddles for the first time to try to start my heart, and they didn't work. But the second time they used them, combined with his pushing me back into the body, they worked. I opened my eyes, and all of a sudden, They were packing things away and everything was done. You're not supposed to wake up until you're in the recovery room. I woke up in the operating room long enough to tell one of Dr. Spetzler's neuroscientist fellows, who is today my friend, how extremely insensitive he was under the circumstances and to complain a little bit about being shocked. He laughed at me and told me I just needed to sleep some more. Afterward, Dr. Spetzler listened very closely to everything I said to him. On the following day, he very firmly explained to me, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this was not a hallucination. He told me that what I described had actually occurred. For example, they did have to defibrillate me twice. Now, not even Dr. Spetzler remembered that until he had my records and went over them, and he found out, yes, it's true. The voice I heard was indeed female and later my doctors introduced me to her. She was the head of the cardiovascular team, and she was doing a cut-down. This is the methodology by which they drew the blood from the body. 
The first photograph I was shown of what I would come to understand as the Midas Rex bone saw was correct. And I called the physician doing research on this and told him it was incorrect. It would be another year before I would again have an opportunity to see a Midas Rex bone saw, and this time it was indeed the one I had seen. It did, from what had been my vantage point, appear to have a groove that went into or around the bit, and it did look like an electric toothbrush. When I had heard this thing while out of my body, it was humming, gutturally, at a perfect natural D while in the doctor's hand. I don't know what it would hum if you laid it on the table, but in his hand it was the perfect natural D. I could clearly hear that tone. CBS did a test on the saw, and at first they said it didn't make a natural D, but a C. The next lower note on the scale. I have intrinsic perfect pitch. No way. So I called the producer and asked him what their methodology was for the test. And they said that they got some styrofoam and laid it down on that. I said, no, put it in a living man's hand. Put it in Dr. Spetzler's hand. They did. And it came out a perfect natural D. I was a believer when I left the hospital, and I wasn't the only one. There were several staff members there who said I wasn't the only case that they had seen that was unusual in this regard. I know consciousness survives the death of the physical body because I've had that experience personally. Beyond that, I cannot, in truth, know anything. But in my opinion, what happened to me is evidence of an afterlife. But let us weigh my opinion before we call it a fact. What it is for me could be totally different than what it is for you. My arrogance extends as far as musicianship. But when it comes down to science and philosophy... I completely lose my sense of arrogance. Having this NDE, I no longer fear death. I fear separation. I thought at first that I wouldn't even fear separation, but there is no experience that makes the separation okay when you lose someone. But when my time comes, I will embrace death. In fact, I know people who are dying right now, and I envy them their journey. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to go. But I just don't like being left behind. I don't think any of us do. Some skeptics have argued that Pam woke up during the process and through anesthesia awareness, she was able to hear what was going on in the room so she could extrapolate enough to paint a visual picture afterward. They attribute all elements of Pam's experiences to physiological processes. Yet, in order to help monitor her brain, Pam had speakers inserted into each ear that emitted continuous loud clicks at a rate of 11 to 33 clicks per second at 90 to 100 decibels. That sound was as loud as a lawnmower or passing subway train. No one can observe or hear anything in that state, Dr. Spetzler said. I find it inconceivable that your normal senses, such as hearing, let alone the fact that she had clicking modules in both ears, that there is any way for her to hear through normal auditory pathways. In addition, Pam's eyes were taped shut. Pam's brain should not have been capable of generating anything at all. Yet she was conscious, and she reported that her conscious awareness was located outside the body and was in no way dependent on her brain. Some things I love about Pam's story is that the doctor 
is open to talk about near-death experiences, more and more doctors are once they're finding out that other doctors are sharing about it. So that's great. And that there's some verifiable evidence what she did experience, these sounds, the natural D that she says was verified. Also, that the bone saw did look like the electric toothbrush, exactly how she saw it. I'm going to leave you with just a quick funny. What do vegans eat in the afterlife? And the answer is the Beyond Burger. And for those of you who don't know, in the United States, they have plant-based vegan products. And the company is beyond. (laughs) We'll be back in just a second. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. And on this segment, I want to read a little bit more from the great book, Surviving Death by Leslie 
Keen. Her last name spelled K-E-A-N, in case you want to pick up the book. But before we get on to that, I want to give you another joke. And why make light of the afterlife? Well, the truth is, it's a joyful place. It's a place where we can have anything we want, do anything we want, be with the people we love, and pets included. The hardest part is being here on earth, being left behind, experiencing grief. So if I can put a little smile on your face, I'm going to do that. Well, actually, let me give you two. Here's one. Did you hear about the new Italian restaurant that opened in the afterlife? It's called Passed Away. Get it? Like pasta away. <laughs> pasta? I know, I'm crazy. Okay, here's another one. Did you hear about that new show on TV with the nun who ruled over heaven? Now, this is multiple choice. Guess what the name of the show is? A, the heir to heaven. B, hi, I'm up high. Or C, girls rule the afterlife. Well, whatever you answered, it was wrong. It's none of the above. Get it? None, N-U-N, none of the above. Yes, I know this is eight-year-old humor, but you know, it's the best I can do. All right, let's continue on. This next part that I'd like to read you is by Dr. Peter Fenwick, who is a neuropsychiatrist in the UK. He has published over 200 papers on brain function. He has been part of the editorial board for a number of journals. And he's had a long-standing interest in the mind-brain connection, the problem of consciousness, and has conducted extensive research into the end-of-life phenomena. So this is by Dr. Peter Fenwick. Throughout the centuries, mankind has wondered what happens after death. In virtually every culture throughout recorded history, there are indications of rituals associated with the dead and evidence that they might have been buried with some sense of expectation of an afterlife. Hunter-gatherers believed that the dying would leave their bodies and journey to their ancestors. The concept of journeying at death is still central today to the understanding of death in most parts of the world. The reductionist scientific culture of the West is almost alone in its unshakable belief in the finality of death. The slowly progressing scientific dominance of a materialistic view has led us to abandon the concept of the transcendent. It is argued that consciousness is formed entirely by the brain. The idea of the journey after death has almost completely disappeared from the scientific perspective, and we are left with a random universe where dying is simply a mechanical process. However, recent studies of the mental states of the dying suggest that this is too limited a view. I am a neuropsychiatrist, which means that I've been trained in the understanding of the brain and its functioning, as well as in the nature of the mind. So I stand in the zone between mind and brain. I have studied the dying process and written scientific papers in peer-reviewed journals to disseminate a new view of what actually happens when we die, and to ask what the experiences of the dying could contribute to our understanding of consciousness. A number of studies have suggested that before dying, many people will experience deathbed visits from dead relatives, which reassure the dying that the process of death is not as terrifying as they may have believed. The first attempt 
at a systematic scientific study of these apparitions was made by Sir William Barrett, a physicist whose interest in the topic was aroused when his wife, an obstetrician, told him about a patient of hers who began to see visions as she lay dying. She mentioned seeing not only her dead father, but also her sister. Her sister had indeed died three weeks earlier, but the patient, because of her delicate condition, had not been told. The fact that so far as the patient knew, her sister was alive and well, but she had seen her in the company of her father that she knew to be dead, so impressed Sir William that he began to collect similar experiences. His book, Deathbed Visions, concluded that these experiences were not merely a byproduct of a dying brain, but could occur when the dying patient was lucid and rational. He also reported a number of cases in which medical personnel or relatives shared the dying patient's vision. I began to study these deathbed visions myself in 2003, after a review of the scientific literature persuaded me that this was an area that had not been properly addressed. My examination has not been limited to deathbed visions, but includes many other end-of-life experiences, ELEs, such as the dying moving in and out of alternate realities or caregivers witnessing light at the moment of death. With a group of colleagues, we started the process by looking at accounts of what happens when people die. We drew up a questionnaire asking about these phenomena and gave it to the members of a palliative care team in North London and to medical staff, nurses, care workers, volunteer and clergy in two hospices and a nursing home in the south of England. In order to control for culture, we also carried out the study in three Dutch hospices, in addition, we collected over 1,500 email accounts from the general public and interviewed doctors, nurses, auxiliary staff, and chaplains, giving us a good idea of the detailed mental states of the dying. Analysis of this data has provided a comprehensive picture that is far from the mechanical model of death. We found accounts of people having premonitions of their own or another's death. Tales of clocks stopping, strange animal behavior, light seen in the rooms of the dying, and shapes seen leaving the body. Did these events actually occur, or were they just fantasies of the dying? The data have also shown quite conclusively that these ELEs are far more common than has previously been acknowledged. One recent paper suggests that, in fact, they occur in over 60% of those people who die while conscious. The present consensus is that over 50% of those dying consciously will have an ELE and are likely to get reassurance and help from the dying process. Here we will focus on those ELEs and bear some relationship to the near-death experience or the survival of consciousness after death. All of them suggest that consciousness is non-local, more a field structure than something created by the brain. This is revealed at the approach of death when consciousness begins to separate from the body and enter into expanded awareness. So he goes on to talk about deathbed visions. Deathbed visions have been largely ignored by the medical profession, though they are well known to and often reported by nurses and relatives who care for the dying. 
They are not dependent on religious belief, though they may be influenced by culture. In strong Christian societies, for example, angels are often seen, but these are very seldom reported in more secular societies. Often the occurrence of a vision is inferred by those watching because of the way the dying person behaves, rather than anything they say, and often, of course, by the time they die, they are already beyond speech. In this case, it may be a change in expression. Their face lights up as they have seen someone they recognize and love, or they may reach out as if towards some invisible presence. So absolutely real do these apparitions seem that the dying person is often witnessed interacting with them and expecting others to do the same. One of the many nurses who has witnessed this told us this story. I was attending a patient with a fellow nurse, again around four in the morning. The male patient asked us to stand, one on each side of him, because he wanted to thank us for looking after him. Then he looked over my shoulder toward the window and said, Hang on, I'll be with you in a minute. I just want to thank these nurses for looking after me. The patient repeated himself a couple of times, and then he died. A district nurse told us this very typical story of an 88-year-old lady she used to visit once a week to help and supervise the family who were giving her care. She eventually became weaker and was semi-conscious, only reacting to painful stimuli. She died, and I visited the next day to help. Her daughter said that she was lying peacefully and suddenly sat bolt upright with a beaming smile on her face and said, Joe, how nice of you to come and see me. Joe was her deceased husband. Then she lay back down and died soon after. The daughter was very sensible and practical and really believed that her father had just visited. What virtually all these experiences had in common was that they were very seldom frightening. The dying are always pleased to see their visitors and calm or even joyous after the visit. The visits are also comforting to the family who are told about or witness the positive effect on the relative. In our own studies, the most common visitors were parents, 24%, spouses, 14%, and other close relatives. 14%. This is similar to the near-death experience in which dead relatives, friends, and spiritual beings appear about 41% of the time. Could both experiences be representing the same other dimensional reality? One of my favorite stories of a deathbed visitation was talking to this lady on an airplane. She said just before her mother had died, all she was doing was complaining, I really want a cigarette. I really want a cigarette. And of course, she couldn't have a cigarette in the hospital. And then just before she passed, her daughter says, you're no longer asking for a cigarette. And she says, no, because your dad is here and I don't want him smelling the smoke on me. Aw, sweet. Anyways, we're going to go into the break, but I can't leave you here without one last afterlife joke. It's something you've heard before, but you're going to hear it in a whole nother way. Ready? Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. (laughs) I know I'm silly, but I love it. Let's take our break and then we'll talk about some signs from our loved ones. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. 
Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. We were having some story time, and now I want to use this segment to talk about signs from our loved ones. And I want to have a very real conversation with you. Now, if you are someone who has recently had a loved one pass, I give you such sincere condolences. It is the hardest thing that we humans will have to go through ever, ever. It is the most bitter kind of pain and grief is an absolute nightmare. So with that, I do have some help. If you want a free copy of my book, you can certainly have one. If you go to wedontdie.com, go to the store page, click on audiobook, and use coupon code FREE, F-R-E-E. And when you open the book, there's also the PDF version, if you'd rather read it. Chapter 10 is How to Survive Grief. I give you everything I've got to understand the world of grief, why it has to hurt so bad, what's happening within our biology that makes it hurt so bad, how we are readjusting to a new reality, how our circuits aren't firing 
correctly, how we're very tired, how we go through a whole range of emotions. We're often forgetful. There's so many things. So please make sure you use that. That being said, the real conversation I want to have about signs from our loved ones is not if you are newly bereaved. This is for those of us who have had a loved one who has passed, and it's been some time now, some time that we've had that our emotions aren't always on edge, that we don't cry at the drop of a dime, that we've had a little space between when our loved one has passed and now. Now, certainly our loved ones can give us signs at any time. Certainly they can. There are so many stories of people suffering really horrific grief. And a favorite song that you might have shared with your loved one will come on the radio, or you might get a whiff of their cologne. They are doing everything possible to let us know we are still here. We haven't died. And their love is as strong now, if not stronger, than when they were alive but it's very hard for them to get through. There are things that we can do on our side to help more signs come in. Now, we still have our personalities when we cross over. Someone who is very shy and quiet may not start turning the lights on and off. Someone who is younger, who might be really smart with technology and may have worked on computers, you could get some random emails from their email address, even though there is no possible way that they could physically send them. Our personalities go along with the signs we give. We are also given the choice when we're in the afterlife, if we want to give signs. There are some people that know that it's only a blink of an eye and you'll be together again, as there's no time in the afterlife. So while they might do some signs, they may not be as active as others, giving you signs that they're still alive. When we cross over, we have a world very similar to what we have here. We can create with our thoughts. We can communicate with our thoughts. And it's a pretty cool place to go forward with your education as a soul, so to speak. Lots to learn, lots to do. Things that we couldn't do here on Earth or we didn't get a chance to do, we can do over there. So it sounds pretty cool, right? However, they may be busy doing that, that they're not concentrating 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to give us signs. Like I said, there are things we can do to help get more signs. And one of the things is to be really committed that you'd like signs and you'd like to keep this relationship as strong as possible. Our friend Sonia Rinaldi, who I've shared about many times, who is the subject of the new documentary film, gets so many pictures, images, words, messages that come through her technology. It's insane. It's amazing. And when I ask her, what is the single best piece of advice you could give someone who wants to record electronic voice phenomena or wants to try to get a picture of their loved one in through technology by filming static or something like that. Her words are commitment, commitment, commitment. She feels very strongly that there's a team of scientists on the other side that are working with loved ones trying to do this. And if we just show up once trying to do an experiment and then 
Maybe we try it again a few months down the road. Well, they don't take us as seriously as someone who week after week has a schedule and is working with their loved one to either get signs or work with technology like this. Because the afterlife is real and because we are still people when we get there, we have to keep talking to them. Getting signs, doing these different experiments really takes keeping the relationship alive. If you choose that you want to lose weight and you want to exercise and get a strong body, we all know what we need to do, right? Eat less and exercise. Knowing makes no difference. It's really having a plan and really being committed to it. What's difficult with our loved ones in our unseen world is we can't get, or we may not get, immediate gratification. Whereas if you exercise, you can actually feel yourself getting stronger or losing weight. You can step on a scale. Our loved ones work so subtly through our imagination. They use our energy to do some of these signs How they do some of it, I have no idea. And I do think once we get there, we will figure it out. But for the time being, we need to offer everything we can. So have a calendar. Schedule times that you'll sit and talk to your loved one. Even if you're sitting at your kitchen table, like I am right now, there's an empty chair across from me. Picture your loved one sitting there. Have conversations like you would if they were alive, because they are. You can journal things. You can say, I'll meet you same time tomorrow. You can do something like close your eyes and ask them to step into your personal space, depending on your relationship, that is. You can ask them to put a kiss on your forehead. And the more present you can become, the more you'll start feeling these subtle changes of energy. We talk a lot about being in the present moment. A busy brain cannot pick up loved one's signs. It just can't. You're too busy thinking about the past or the future or checking your phone for messages. And meanwhile, your loved one might be sitting in the car right next to you. It takes a present mind living in the present moment to pay attention to what's happening. So that's a little bit of tough love about getting signs. We'll know how it all works once we get there. But for now, if you want more signs, my request is that you put in a little of the work to let your loved one know that you're willing to work with them. You set a time and you pay attention. Like I said, they work through our imagination. You could get a slideshow of memories that just show up in your mind. You could pull up to a car and the license plate is your loved one's name. If you're paying attention, you'll notice that'll be a sign. So I'm going to leave you with some signs that I've just recently found from great people. Let these be an idea for you. Okay, here's a nice one. Speaking of license plates, this is from Annie. A few months after my mother passed, we were very close and I saw a license plate that read Lucy 27. I was stunned. Her name is Lucy and she was born in 1927. I saw that license plate two more times and was able to take a picture of it. She has sent me hundreds of signs since 2003, and I either see or hear her name almost every day, so I know she's always with me. And this one from Gina. 
I got a side hug on my shoulder from my father-in-law one day when I was standing at the kitchen sink washing dishes. I thought it was my husband, but when I turned around, he was not there. He was sitting in his den. I was scared, but my first thought went to my father-in-law, Carl, because we were very close. Like I said, they work through our imagination, so we can use our psychic sense, our intuition, to let us know who is there. And how about this one from Michelle? The day my dad died, it was pouring rain. It's Arizona, and there was no chance of rain. The sky cleared hours later while we were waiting for the police and the paramedics and the crisis team to leave. Suddenly, there appeared a double rainbow. It disappeared, and the officers then came out and said, You can leave. A week later, I had the urge to clean out my kitchen cupboard, the top one with the stuff I never use. There was a card in there that said, Daughter, if only you could see how beautiful you are through my eyes, from my dad. I broke down crying for a couple of hours. I stepped back up on the ladder again to check the back of the cupboard, and there was a postcard of a double rainbow. I have lived in this home for three years and never saw this, and it was not mine. Well, it is now. I'm so grateful, and I see double rainbows everywhere. My friend William Peters, who is the author of At Heaven's Door, talking about shared death experiences, told the most beautiful story of a gentleman who had passed, and he was so filled with life, his nickname was the Human Exclamation Point. And they had a celebration of his life after he passed and put flowers in the ocean, really beautiful, with just hundreds of people. And there wasn't a single cloud in the sky until one cloud formed, and it was exactly an exclamation point. As we said in the beginning, our loved ones communicate through thought. Just because we are in a human body doesn't mean we don't connect the same way. So it's so important that we send out our thoughts to them, and we are open to receive their thoughts to us. It does come in the way of imagination, Please don't fall into the human behavior of thinking, oh, it's just my imagination. It is them, and they love you, and their love is real. So remember to go to wedontdie.com. Check out the Sonia Rinaldi movie. It just won a film award for the best research documentary. I love you. I'm glad you're listening, and we'll see you next time. This is Sandra Champlain, and you've been listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.